two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance. Now let's start the show. Step back on the cold. Problems. Mm. Tell us to fuck off. Ladies and gentlemen, the CO double MON synonym for fresh truth is the emblem. Because it's already sick. So, so this might be a little inside baseball. You see what I did there, um, but how do you feel about the rest of the season and Judge hitting? Because they go to Toronto after this, right? Yes. Um I'm I'm good. Um I honestly think they've kind of righted the ship a little bit. Getting Severino is back is huge cuz uh they've already said that Cole's going to start game 1 and I, you know, it's been rough road with him lately. He's uh he's very inconsistent and I mean like it's always it's weird with Cole. It always seems like it's like the fifth or sixth inning is where it's either the first inning where he gives up a bunch of runs and then kind of like levels out, or he has like a, like a beautiful game going through five. And then in the sixth inning, he just gets fucking trounced. So um, they're going to rely heavily on their bullpen, uh, which, which is good. So I think they can, I think they can beat Houston. I'm not like, you know, I'm not as confident as I was in the first half of the season, but with getting Giancarlo back, the bats have been good. With Judge, I can kind of see – I think Judge can't wait for the fucking playoffs to come because he seems a little tense right now. Um, he seems like he's trying to hit a home run at every time, but he's done a nice job. He's still hitting really well. He looks like he's going to win the Triple Crown mm-hmm. um, if he keeps at the current pace that he's at. So I think I think he's probably going to be more relaxed in the playoffs because it's less about like ESPN cutting in every fucking – you know, probably a million questions about it. So – um, I'm confident they're, they're about close to getting 10 games over again. So looks like we're going to, I think they have a chance to clinch tonight, um, with a win. So, uh, oh, we'll see they how it goes. Clinch. They, clinch they, the just, they clinch the playoff. They clinch the playoff. Okay. Yeah. Like they can clinch the, for... yeah, they can clinch the AL East tonight. Um, yeah. so it'd be nice and they're getting, they're getting close to a hundred games. Um, you know, I don't know if they get past Houston, great because that's a big drag in the sleigh if not things are gonna be really really rocky i don't think houston is the team that they used to be because i think a lot of those guys and granted i have not followed um houston as much as some of the other teams but i feel like they are good because they play in a real beat division and i know that the mariners are in it but you also have the angels in there um, and the athletics, and there are teams that you can just beat up on in the American League, and they've done a really good job doing that, but they didn't look good against the Red Sox in any of the games that they played. Um, I think they're a team that really thrives on just hitting fastball after fastball, and if you could mix it up a little bit, I think they're going to be in trouble. I did want to ask you, though, the guy who pitched for the Red Sox last night, Brian Bayo, 
What did you think of him? I didn't catch last night's game. Um, How do you sleep at night? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I had a like thing yesterday that kept me up all night because obviously for anybody who doesn't know, I work overnights. Uh, so I watched like the one o'clock games and then like I passed out for a couple hours. So um, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, what's the significance of the pitcher last night? He's young. He's new. Um, he's probably going to be a rotation guy next year, but I was curious to get, cause I am very bought into him, but I was curious to see an independent eye going up against the Yankee lineup. What somebody else thought of him. Well, he's a Red Sox, so he's probably racist and, uh, you know. Well, he's Dominican, so it makes it a little tricky that way. <laughs> he's not a JD, so. <laughs> yeah, JD Martinez is a different breed of cat for sure. Uh, going back to what you said, though, um, the Astros, yeah, they're n- maybe not the best team, you know, and like I have no doubt that the Red Sox probably put it on them. It's a mental thing, though, with the Yankees because the last few times the, Re- the, the Astros have been that team that kind of fucks them up, so. Um, it, I think it's going to be it'd be a cathartic thing to go to get past them, but like, I don't know. Can they beat the Dodgers? I, theoretically, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually worried a little bit more worried about the Mets because that one-two punch of Degrom and Scherzer is going to be fucking brutal in the playoffs. So, but we'll see. I think I would. I think I would have felt better if the Dodgers still had Walker Bueller, but they don't. Right. Yeah. So. I, I don't know. I, I'm medium confidence right now. I'm definitely not as confident as I was in the first half of the season. But I, but I knew like the the laws of averages were gonna they were they were hitting way too well that like you know they're, they, the the current pace that they're at was almost impossible. So yeah, and I would imagine that it can be difficult to um, psych yourself up for a game when you're 14 and a half games ahead of the second team in your division. I mean, it makes sense, though, but I think the the challenge that they have had is they haven't had everybody back. Like, they haven't been – they haven't had all the pieces clicking at the same time, and they were still successful when they were, but Araldis Chapman is not the person he used to be. They traded for Harrison Bader, who was hurt for two months, and um, Joey Gallo was not an operational human being when he played in the Bronx – so I think they needed to, and it seems like they've got a nice like boost when they brought up all the young guys too. Yeah. Cabrera has been great. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Chapman, like they don't even rely on Chapman anymore. It's clay, it's clay Holmes, but mm-hmm. he's even, he's starting to show like cracks um, to where he was like, perfect. He had a sub one ERA for a good portion of the season. And now it's like 2.5. So it's, you know, you're starting to see him getting hit more, and it's just like it, they're it, they just seemed unhittable. Uh, like the, the a lot of these pitchers, like like you weren't getting anything off these guys, and like every batter was like even like Donaldson, bottom of the order guys, IKF, all these guys were contributing big time. Um, but yeah, the young guys have provided them boost. But Giancarlo coming back has been like Rizzo being healthy too has also been like huge because he's a good glove at first and like the power in that short porch just provides such a boost. So, I mean, cause like for a while you were seeing like Donaldson hitting in the four or five spot and it's like, that's if, if Donaldson's hitting in the four or five spot, you're fucked. Because yeah. if that's your that that's 10 best, years ago, moving judge to the leadoff has also been really, really good. 
um, because I, I, it's actually smart because it really he's he gets on base a lot, whether it be walks or or hits. But it also for the bottom of the order guys, like if IKF gets on base, which you know they do a pretty good job at, you have a chance of getting like a three run homer, you know, two or three run homer. So it really kind mm-hmm. of improves the odds of getting um, more runs on the board. So it's been it's a, it's been a nice move. So so we'll see. Yeah. I know you'll be rooting for them. Meh. The Mets and the Astros, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd be rooting on the biggest meltdown ever for them. So, I had a question for you guys. Um, well, hang on cool. first. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome hey, everybody. to the Second Mouse Podcast. What Do else? us a favor and follow us on social media. Go if to you your don't, phone. You're an asshole. Yeah. If you don't, you're an asshole. So go to your phone. Go to Instagram, go to Twitter, find our information on the description of this show because it's in there, mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. click follow. That's all we ask. And, it, and if and honestly, like if you have Apple, if you have like Apple Pod, just fucking download it and then delete it if you want. Don't, you don't have to listen. I don't give a shit. Just download it. Yeah. Give a Unless five you're five. above all the social media and bullshit that these two talk about all day, then just keep on doing what you do because we just love that you're listening. So just listen. You're listening now. Continue listening. Yeah. Don't stop. Get it. Get it. (laughs) Having said that. um, So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the NFL first. I figure Um, third week is, you know, we're going to see the giants and the Cowboys tonight. So excited to see how that goes for the giants. I want to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh boy. So I think we all kind of went into this season thinking that this was a kind of a big year for Derek Carr and, uh, you know, going out there and getting Devontae Adams um, gave up a lot of picks for him and then gave him a pretty big contract. So 0-3 to start of the year, been very unimpressive. Josh McDaniel, but, you know, Josh McDaniels is in his first year. It's kind of tough when you have a team that is like – He's not in his first year. As the, he's his, the Raiders coach? He's in his third year as a head coach. He should know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, so that was a long time ago. Uh, so, I mean, you know, first year as a Raiders head coach. Apparently, he had a closed-door meeting last night with Mr. Davis. Uh, That's never good. Raiders. Never good. Do you think that this could be an Urban Meyer situation where they maybe pull the ripcord pretty fast, or do you think that they'll probably, probably maybe provide him a little bit more leeway past this season? Gato, what do you think? You go first. Um, you know, the the general trend in the NFL is like we're going to go out and get you all those pieces, and then you have like less than a season to make all those pieces work. Yep. And um, if you can't do that. What the fuck are we paying you for? Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you leave nicely or on a high note, maybe we'll like, um, you know, you could use this as a reference on your resume. It's just the reality is like the cards are the deck is stacked against them um, and he's going to have to figure some shit out fast um, or just start looking for a job midseason. <laughs> That's that's probably his two options. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to see because he he has right through. It's only been three games, and like a lot can change in you know a couple weeks. 
but he's at the lowest completion percentage since his rookie season. He's already got four interceptions uh, throughout three games. So Derek Carr doesn't seem to be capturing that big moment that, you know, he kind of needed in this in this situation. So have either of you been able to watch a Raiders game? Have they been out in your area? No, but uh, I've been like, you'll see like clips on like Red Zone and all that. So I was going to say, you know, the one the one thing I did catch some of that overtime game Um mm-hmm. Or actually did catch a bit of the Cardinals Raiders uh game last week. And uh that's the thing is like they're not they're losing by a score. It's not that they're not producing offensively. I mean they're still we have twenty twenty point games. I mean it could be worse. There are you gotta remember they're also playing in like one of the toughest divisions in football. Not that the thing is t- the Titans were the litmus test for whether they sucked or whether they were unlucky. And the the Titans were kind of proof that they might suck, um, which might not ultimately be fair to the Titans because last year they were pretty dominant. But everybody Tit- they look better. Shit. They look yeah. better yesterday for sure. So. so, for the sake of argument, I'm gonna say that this is a huge problem for them. And this was a team that had all of their issues with John Gruden last year, but still looked like a pretty competitive team. I think they were just short of making the playoffs, right? Yep. So it was that wasn't that, that the game. game with the Chargers? Yeah, that game I was do, terrific. Yeah. Wait, Actually, did they, they were they in the won. playoffs last year. Yeah, they won that game. Because they lost to Cincinnati. Correct. Yes. In, that's right. It's so, very end of that game. You, So here's the thing. You have a team that already made the playoffs last year, and the only true addition that was made to this team of significance is Devontae Adams. So you're adding a wide receiver to this team. Um, Arguably the best receiver in the game. Arguably the best receiver in the game. I am going to take a different tact here in the sense that I think a lot of this is Josh McDaniel's problem. And I think that you know, when you get labeled as a genius, an offensive genius for so long, you eventually start to believe it. And now we're seeing that this is actually not a terribly good offense because they shouldn't be scoring 24 points a game. They should be scoring 35. Like Devontae Adams is a dominant wide receiver. And you have guys like Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller, even if Derek Carr is like a pedestrian quarterback. This team should be dominating games. It should be dominating the, the time of possession and putting the ball in the end zone consistently. I mean, they lost a game to the Chargers. The Chargers are at home, so it makes sense. But they lost to the Cardinals and they lost to the Titans. Both of those were easily winnable games. And I don't think – I think Josh McDaniel's time – of being a head coach, he should have gotten out of New England probably about three years ago because he would have been riding all of those Super Bowls with Brady. And now it's what you thought was his like magic potion to make this team successful. Well, he was there and that team sucked in New England. Granted, they said, oh, well, you know, they don't have the pieces, but at the same time, he's also the guy that was the offensive coordinator for the Cam Newton Patriots, which were terrible. Last year's Patriots, which were not great. Very conservative. Very conservative. So this guy who was supposed to be this offensive, like, wonk is now kind of a run-of-the-mill coordinator, offensive mind in this league that has evolved way beyond this. 
and I, I didn't like this move for the Raiders. I didn't think Josh McDaniels was worth like the money that they paid him. I didn't think he was worth the attention that people were giving him. And we've seen all of these New England coordinators riding the coattails of Belichick and then returning home. And McDaniels was kind of like the originator of that. I don't know. I put a lot on him. And I think this is his responsibility. This team made it to the playoffs last year. They had a winning record. And the only thing that's changed is you've added a wide receiver and you. Yeah. And two, two things that are interesting to me. Um, one is that Devonte Adams got 17 targets in game one. He's had 17 over the last two weeks. So, and I would say they were arguably better off in that first game. They looked a lot better week one. Uh, did not look very good against Arizona uh, and certainly did not look good against Tennessee yesterday. I know they lost by like two points yesterday, but like Tennessee was yeah. throwing all over them and Tennessee has been fucking bad. Derrick Henry looked like old Derrick Henry yesterday. Ryan Tannehill um, looks lost. He, he prior, has. To, yeah, he actually, prior to last yeah, week. Yeah, he has. He has looked really bad. So um, it's kind of weird to see, you know, and go down, but I want to point out another thing that could spell doom for Josh McDaniels. Um, next week, home against Denver, week five at Kansas City. So back to back divisional games coming up, and then a bye week. You know what happens on a bye week sometimes if People they feel fired. like pulling if they feel like pulling the ripcord, it'd be a good moment to give it to whoever they want to give it to to have a full week with no games to be able to kind of get situated. They they gave him a decent amount of money, I think I believe. I think it was a decent contract he got. This these next 2 weeks are going to be everything for him because he like I I know that like Mark Davis is not the most patient man. So, but like I pardon me like what you were pointing out like last year, maybe should have just kind of stuck with the interim coach. I think it was um can't remember his name. Um, he was like the special teams guy mm-hmm. seemed to seem to do pretty well. So I feel like this is kind of like a situation where they might regret going all out. I would agree. I think that frankly, I think if they lose to Denver, I think it's just a waiting game to fire him for the bye week. I think Mark Davis and the rest of management will know regardless of the outcome of the chiefs game, He's getting fired. And I don't, if you're going to lose to the Broncos, you're not going to be the chiefs. Um, so I think, you know, what do you come, what is the next level after a closed door conversation with the owner? Probably getting fired. And if you've already had a closed door conversation with your owner and you lose to a team that's ran by somebody who is more lost than Josh McDaniels right now in Nathaniel Hackett and a guy who looks like he should have retired at the end of this year in uh, Russell Wilson, by the way, my fantasy team pick, what a fucking nightmare that has been. Broncos country. Let's ride. Just retire. That's what it should have been. Broncos country. Let's leave. (laughs) That, that, that game last night was a fucking horror show. I am so happy I didn't watch that shit show. I just watched the highlight when I was at the gym this morning. I was like, I don't know who would have wasted their time on this bullshit. What, <laughs> I will say, though. Build on the 10-11 barn burner? Oh, God. It wasn't a scorigami, though. I was hoping it was going to be a scorigami. It was not. Uh, it did. I think a game in, like, 2011 had the same score. Um, yeah. Very odd. 11-10. It's like a fucking barn burner baseball game. Um, 
yeah, Russell did not look good, and he continues to not look good. And I, I just, man, that that contract and then Hackett. Let's be real here. It's the Broncos hired Hackett. I mean, like, just because they wanted Aaron Rodgers, right? Like they 100%. were trying to get Rodgers, and then it just like he decided to stay in Green Bay, and like they were like, well, I <laughs> guess we're just gonna roll with him. That, that that division is weird, also because Kansas City yesterday, like they, they had no business losing that game, though. No it, business losing that game. It was it was like an off day across the whole NFL. Like there was something, I don't know, like something with the planetary alignment or something. Because I don't fucking I couldn't tell you why teams were all fucked up, but they were <laughs> every game I watched. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like. I still feel like, though, we are still in, like, a pseudo preseason right now where, you know, we talked about this last week, where not everybody played during the preseason. And it's going to take probably at least three weeks for every team to kind of hit their stride. And the only big numbers that you saw in week one and week two were really just the teams that were completely unprepared. And somebody was talking about this um, the other day, where in week one, you don't do a ton of scheming. It's more so just like make sure that everybody's healthy and we'll just do base plays to make sure everyone's familiar with what we're supposed to do. And then we'll just build from there. But I mean, you had some really just kind of wonky scores, but I also, this is another thing. And I'm, I'm wondering how you guys feel about this, but I also wonder too, like, I feel like the quarterback play in general has just not been good across the board aside from a handful of performances each week, everybody else has been pretty pedestrian. And yeah, you could usually, probably... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you could probably pick maybe like four quarterbacks a week that have like really good games. And then everybody else is kind of like, almost like that pre like 2008 where everyone was like around like 22 for 30, 260, a touchdown and an interception. I just don't feel like games are coming together the, the way that they normally did in the past. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I'd love your thoughts. I mean, right now, uh, I think like probably the two best performances I'm seeing in the quarterback position solidly coming from Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Yeah. And he's <laughs> making a good fucking point each and every week, man. Um, yeah, it, it just I think I think right now we're just we're seeing people that came into the season ready. And if you if you think about Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts, they're both very serious on the field and like I think they they prepare right now they're the most prepared going into the beginning of football in comparison to some of the other quarterbacks that I know it's not fair to say, but I I think the other quarterbacks are still like trying to figure their shit out. Like you said, there's the pregame thing. They most quarterback, most starting quarterbacks didn't didn't take many snaps. You know, it was only the iffy ones. And if you think about it, the iffy ones got the, that took those preseason snaps. Someone like Daniel Jones, who's so far has been, and I know I just totally jinxed them, <laughs> but uh, but has 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 played a little bit better than I think anticipated so far. I was um, going to mention that that like the knocking off of the one preseason game and then like a lot of 
teams not starting their top tier guys in preseason might be the reason why we're having these kind of sloppy games so far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I Rainy. mean, oh, go for it, Tom. No, I mean, you, you, I think I was going to say what you're going to say. Brady's old now. I mean, I he's mean, been old, but that 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 four o'clock game was, you know, like it was it was the battle of like the fucking old dudes at this point, right? Him and fucking Rogers, and and nothing else mattered in that game. It didn't matter about defense. It didn't matter about the fucking other you know position players on the field. You know, Leonard Fournette had a great fucking game, but it didn't matter. It was only about the fucking quarterbacks yesterday. Vegas had an idea that it was probably going to be a bad game because they scored like the over under was like lower than league average. So they were pretty much looking at that game in which, you know, the Packers, like I think uh, Christian Watson and uh, Sammy Watkins, all of them were out. And then like, you know, Sammy Watkins out. Shocker. Yeah, exactly. Mike Evans suspended. Chris Godwin still hurt. And then Julio Jones not playing. They were looking at this game and they were like, not going to be good. So, And then Brady almost fucking won it. <laughs> For someone who's drafted Tom Brady in two different leagues, uh, I'm not feeling great right now. But it's – it's one of two things with with Brady. Either he's in line for some serious positive regression uh, coming towards him. 43 touchdowns last year, you know, three touchdowns in three games. So he's on pace for fucking 17 touchdowns. Um, he's either in line for really positive regression or he is fucking cooked. I, I think yesterday's game might have been the slap in the face because he really wanted to win that one. He looked pretty good yesterday. I, I saw highlights of it. He looked pretty good. It's just that like the offense wasn't really moving. Yeah. Yeah. You can't when hit when almost all your receivers are injured or I know. out. I know. <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I think the biggest issue for him, and it's something that Brady struggled with his entire career, is interior pressure. He does not do well. He can deal with like pressure coming from either his backside or his front side, but when it's like coming directly in front of him. That's where he struggles. So, like, the fact that Ryan Jensen got hurt uh, before the beginning of the season. I can't remember the name of the guard. Uh, Ali Marpet, he retired. Um, they've had some injuries. They did get Shaq Mason for, like, the price of a fucking, like, piece of bubble gum, which was ridiculous. I don't know why the Patriots made that trade. But, you know, it's just, like, missing missing key pieces in front of them um, that have, like, really been kind of the, the – and then Gronk. No Gronk. Um, has been kind of a struggle. There's like it's a dead zone, a tight end for them between Cameron Braid and fucking Kyle, the the husk of Kyle Rudolph that's there. So shit, I forgot he was there. Yeah, I'm you also would, wondering. You would forget. I, I clearly did. No, but I'm saying because yeah. like, why would you? Why would anyone remember that he's there? Because like, yeah. he hasn't done he hasn't done anything. I wonder though, are we in a weird stage of the NFL where? We have more older quarterbacks playing this year than in years past. I mean, if you look at the number of guys who are over the age of 33 who are starting quarterbacks, it's a big it's a big number. Um, and I don't have any evidence behind this, but I was just thinking about it. But you have I was just running through this list right here. You have Russell Wilson. You have Brady Rogers, Matt Stafford, um, Matt Ryan. Joe Flacco, <laughs> Joe, Joe Flacco, the greatest um, quarterback ever. Let's see who else is in here. 
Ryan Tannehill is not over the age of 33, but he's older. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, is he? Jimmy Jimmy G is there. And a lot of these guys, on, on top of that, though, like you got guys like Mariota and Geno Smith, Garoppolo. Um, How old's Teddy Bridgewater? Because he's probably he's like starting. Probably in his 30s. Probably in his 30s. But then you have guys like um, – Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff, and I don't know. I just feel like, and I and I might just be making this all up. This might just be like recency, like brain here. But I feel like we don't have that level of turnover in quarterbacks that we had in years past. Where there's a lot of guys right now that are on their second and third chance, and in years past they probably would have just been backups at this point. Like. Mariota, Smith, all these. There's dudes. a reason. There's a reason behind that because lay, we've had we've me. had we've had two really bad quarterback classes in the last few years. That's true. Um, 2019 was especially bad. Um, Remind me who Kyle, was in that. So that was Kyler Murray who went number one, and you know, I mean, I look, I'm not going to like completely shit on Kyler Murray here. He's he is obviously a starting quarterback, above average starting quarterback. But then it was uh, Dwayne Haskins who got drafted after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was uh, no, no, excuse me, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, and then Drew Locke. Those were like the yeah. main guys. Yikes! 2018 didn't really bear the fruit that people kind of thought it would. Baker Mayfield, uh, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. So obviously Allen and Jackson being the top tier guys. Um, and Two then five basically. And then 2020 is still kind of out with Lawrence and. Zach Wilson and you know guys like that. So, I, Lawrence, I wonder. Lawrence looked good. I I wonder a little bit if part of this also is because of the nature of like the vacuum that quarterbacks need to fill. Right, this is a crucial role on teams, but the problem is, it's like when when a team has a competent quarterback, they're not they're not apt to waste a pick on on getting a second quarterback to learn behind like a quality starting quarterback at that time. So you have guys that are going to these shit teams that end up getting like Darnold gets decimated with the jets. And like now he's so, he's so gun shy in, in uh, the backfield that he can't produce. And he's basically ended his career that way. I think that if you remember David Carr, I want to, I misspoke. It was the 2021 class I was talking about. 2020 was actually really Mm -hmm. good. It was Burrow. Tua and uh, Justin Herbert. Um, I think there's something to that because, like, David Carr, like, I was convinced David Carr was going to be, like, a star. And, you know, he went to the fucking Texans who were, like, in the first – I think it was the first year that they were yeah. like, a real – Yeah, he like, was expansion. I, yeah, I remember watching Texans games back then. Like, I would, like, see clips of, like, Texans games. And, like, he would hike the ball. And within, like, a half a second, some dude is, like, crushing him. So they just had nothing to really like. Andre Johnson was like the only thing they had, and um, I think he like by the time he became like a free agent, he was already just like decimated at that point. So completely shell shocked. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. pretty used up at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he got sacked like more. I think in like he got sacked in like the first three years more than any other quarterback in the history of the sport. And Joe Burrow, by the way, <laughs> might break that record at this point because yeah. my God, they they I, I swear I, I'm starting to think the Bengals like hate him or something because 
I, I've never I like he they spend so much money on the offensive line and it just does not like look like anything changed from last. It actually looks worse than last year. It's it's like you know when um it's like in high school there was like that kid that was like you know he was the best at everything and that's why everyone fucking hated him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like he always had the right answers to everything. You know he did well on the tests. He fucking he was he was like uh, the captain of the the, the team whatever. You know, it's just like, oh, like, fuck you, dude. You're just too much of a tryhard, too good of a person. <laughs> and, and I mean, that team, more than anything, needed a get right game yesterday. And I don't think they really got it. Like, I think, you know, they won, which is great. But he was sacked four times yesterday. And he looked like he was under constant pressure. And, like, I saw him get hit a lot from, you know, the, the moments I saw the game. So it's like they got to fucking figure it out fast. Yeah. You should never the Dolphins feel... next week. Yeah, that, and a, Trump, defense, a defense that just pretty much shut down Josh Allen. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 that's the thing. You shouldn't feel like you're in the second half of that game against the Jets, and the Jets might come back. Yeah, like, that's the. <laughs> there was still this looming sense late into the fourth quarter that the Jets could possibly make you know get two big scores real quick and be back in this game and like you don't want that i have an unpopular take on that game if garrett wilson didn't get hurt that would have been a closer game that's possible maybe i mean he had six catches for 60 yards and missed basically he's he's a fucking a third of that game yeah he really is he's really good um Better than I even thought he was going to be coming out. I liked him a lot, but like I didn't think he was going to be that good. Yeah, he's made I almost think it, he's made Elijah Moore kind of visible. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's hard when a school produces like multiple first round draft picks at the same position to figure out like all right, which one is like going to be good and which one is shit because we saw both like Santonio Holmes and. Ted Ginn Jr. get drafted the same year out of Ohio State in the same round. And they both kind of had like middling careers for a while. They had like one or two big peaks. And then after that, it kind of fell off. But Chris Olave looked decent. I I think there's just a lot of problems with that team at large, though. But Chris Olave like broke the record for air yards like the other day. Like he's he's insane. He's going to be a fucking superstar. By the way, like if he's still available in your fantasy league for any reason and you don't have him, like you like no one's picked him up yet, like you should do everything you can to get him. So but uh yeah, it's it's weird because like I've you wonder like that what makes me wonder sometimes. Like you go back to like a couple years ago with Ole Miss when they had they had uh DK Metcalf, they had AJ Brown, and they had um uh, what's his fucking name? Uh, Elijah Moore. And it's like, how did mm-hmm. that team not win the fucking national championship? Because they had a goon at quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all it is. Like these guys just they'll they'll come into league and they'll be really good because that's who they are. But I mean, we were talking about this yesterday or the other day when uh, we were having a conversation about college football, like. The, the talent drop-off at so many different positions on the same team is so tremendous. Like, mm. you know, we were talking about Sam Hartman from Wake Forest and how 
you know, his passing accuracy is not that strong for the first couple of years of his career, but considering where he played at Wake Forest, they're not exactly drafting. They're not exactly recruiting blue chip players in there every year. And he's throwing to guys who are like, college football is fun, but I'm going to be like a hedge fund manager when I'm done with this. <laughs> he's a great story too. He suffered from like blood clots a couple of years ago and then like almost like had to retire. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to see him uh, wow. make his way back. Um, switching for a second, uh, I feel like we got to talk about the Miami Dolphins for two different reasons. One, they're the only 3-0 team in the AFC. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Two, two has been really good. Mike McDaniel, what a fucking – what a hire for them. Um, he's been he's been amazing. But a little bit of controversy going on there because two and on, uh, at one point, got hit. He fell on his back, and it looks like he kind of, like, doesn't – cushion his blow by like on his back he looks like his helmet hits the back of the uh, of the ground yeah his head t- definitely broke the fall there he did the, we, call that a, remember, we call that a two drop <laughs> <laughs> well if you remember last year um against the giants and the cowboys in jerry world daniel jones takes a hit on a, on a design run gets up and he starts kind of falling over himself and obviously he was out for the game with a concussion i think he missed like a week or two after Tua did the same thing. He stumbled a couple times after getting up, and they brought him to the locker room, comes back into the game. So now the NFL Players Association is asking for an investigation of did he have a concussion or not? And obviously, if they broke protocol in any which way, they're going to suffer massive punishments over this. Um, I don't know if you guys saw what happened or if you had any thoughts on it. Uh, I do have one thought, and it's that mm-hmm. Florida, you can't sue medical professionals. So, like, I'm going to say that the the doctor there, he probably doesn't care as much, and it's a, a little less worried for some well, to make the wrong so, diagnosis. So, with the NFL, though, <laughs> they they actually appoint an independent they're, – they're supposed smart, to – Smart. An independent doctor to – and it may not just be a Florida doctor. It could be any – I'm not sure where they – you know what the rules are on that but typically like when a player is expected to have a concussion or they fear that he has a concussion uh an independent doctor will check them out run a couple tests and then they will determine whether or not they can come back in the game or not very strange that Tua came back into that game for me because i i saw him and i was like that was daniel jones last year he has a concussion and i don't know so he came back in so i'm i'm wondering because this is potentially a big deal uh, for Miami, because you know, you you already had the really bad off the field stuff uh, with Brian Flores, and you hire this guy who was very unconventional to be hired, um, very young, and he's really captured magic in the bottle. You really don't need any negative publicity right now. I think I I hear what you're saying about that, and I think there's definitely. I think there is definitely a cause for concern when you see a guy hit the ground like that, get up and then fall back down only to come back in the second half of that game. As a side note, if you want to see something very similar to that and even scarier, you should look at the highlights from the the Tulsa game where there was a wide receiver who got hit right over the middle, completely blown up, stands up and can't even hold himself up and just collapses to the ground. It was really fucking scary to watch but a part of me 
and I don't mean to be playing the the Michael Tracy contrarian all night, but a part no, of no, me no, feel please. a part of me feels like at some point, if they can't find anything wrong with Tua, at some point they're going to say, "How are you feeling?" And of course, he's going to say, "I feel great." He said he yeah. said it was his back that locked up instead mm-hmm. of yes. his head, but. It he has a back brace and a back pad and all those things. Like if you're gonna hit the ground like that, I didn't see like anything that was strenuous on your back. I could be wrong. I'm not a doctor, but you're hitting grass, but your head Wait, is. You're not a doctor. Into, believe it or not, no. Um, I only bullshit. have a player hater degree though. <laughs> but his head slammed into the ground, and you have to think that there's something going on. But ultimately, like you know. If they can't see anything wrong, like if his eyes are not dilated, if he's like, if he's conscious or he knows where he is at some point, like they're going to say, well, he says he's okay. Yeah. No, I, I, listen, if he passes, if he passed the investigation by like, that's the only thing I worry about is like, did they have that independent? So like, this is all going to come out obviously, but like if he passes, then yeah, there's really nothing you can do because a do- an independent doctor is telling you he's fine. Yeah, um, and I don't have any problem with putting him back in the game in that sense, but like it just, it just seems weird, you know. Um, it just seems weird that all of a sudden, like, he has to be helped off the field, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's back in the game. It's just very odd because, like, if anything, I think this year we've seen more conservative approach. Like, even like with the Giants, like I'm watching Giants games and I saw uh, Leonard Williams leave the game last week. Uh, against the Panthers and it was an automatic rule out. And anytime you see like player leaves the field and within two seconds, they're like, he's out for the rest of the game. You're like torn ACL kill his injury. Something, something's wrong. And then they said like, yeah, he just kind of had a strain. We just didn't want to put back in the game to risk any further injury. I I think, I I think yesterday everyone that has T Higgins on in their lineup was probably (laughs) thinking there was a conspiracy out against them because (laughs) He he gets hit. He gets hit hard. Um, it was a, the it was guy a nasty needs, hit. It was yeah. yeah I, I'm I'm sure that uh, I forget the the player that did it. Um, but I'm sure he's gonna see fines for that one. Yeah. Um. He 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 gets up and he's like, I'm fine. He literally, you see him say the words, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, because his helmet got knocked off. That's how hard it was. They took him off anyhow, and. They he didn't come back for I I want to say the rest of that series and maybe the the next series they took him into the locker room they did all the protocols and I think you know what it sounds like the NFL's kind of wisened up to the idea this is an incredibly dangerous sport and like our investment is the players and like we we for for us to maintain a certain level of competitiveness and for people to enjoy the sport these players their health is a primary concern for us and so i think they're they've wisened up to that and they're taking more precaution there granted in this situation i think a lot of people want to say oh well winning came first in front of Tua's health but i at first i I was watching that clip of him falling over and i thought he just like he literally just like I do it all the time. Like my fucking toe goes into the ground or something, and I stumble. You know, <laughs> that's that's the thing that's interesting about it because it's like it looks like on the surface that he had a concussion, but it's like if 
you know, at the end of the day, if, and for the T Higgins thing, that was LaMarcus Joyner, who is a long, he's been in, in the NFL for a long time. Very strange to see a guy lead with the crown of the helmet like that, like a fucking missile. Like that's like a lot of the helmet to helmet stuff now seems more incidental. Like you don't really see it anymore. Like I'm, I'm it not going to be surprised. With it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to be surprised if he's suspended after that, because that was, that was a dirty was a ass hit. Brutal hit. Yeah. Um, but I think we're forgetting like the actual, the most unique part of that my, uh, that Miami bills game. Lay it on us. The fabled butt punt. <laughs> oh my god! We had we had two repeating like weird plays. This is quite a weekend. We had the butt punt, which is very simple to the butt fumble of Mark Sanchez, and then and we the had Jimmy. Yeah, exactly. And then we had Jimmy Garoppolo running out of the back of the end zone, Dan Orvlosky style. So funny. He posted on Twitter last night. He's like, "Freedom, I'm free." I'm free. <laughs> So which one is worse? Like, where? Which one? Who would you rather not be on a Monday morning when you're going through tape with your with your coach? Quarter, quarterback. Yeah, Jimmy. G. I would agree. That one. Yeah, because the butt fumble, it was like he didn't really have any room to operate. And a lot of times in those situations, teams will just automatically take a safety. Like they'll just let the ball go out of the back of the end zone because they're like, I don't want to risk a like a you know. A deflection and a touchdown yeah. so but like you you as the quarterback your job is to know that's why like the dan orvlosky thing by the way it was his first start mm-hmm. like so like you give dan orvlosky a little bit of like leeway like you, you as a quarterback have to know where you are at all times but like it was his first fucking start that was the own own 16 year too it was um, yeah yeah so you give him like a little bit of a break fucking jimmy g like yeah that was in the league for like a decade <laughs> I really yeah. think this is just going to play into the mystique of Jimmy Garoppolo throwing that interception with his eyes closed in the Super Bowl. This <laughs> and like this was a guy that teams are still like half chub over, and I still don't understand why. Where when he got drafted by Bill Belichick, everyone was like, "Oh my God, this is the steal of the century!" Immediately when he's about to be able to play, he gets hurt. Done. And then they trade him to San Francisco. He doesn't play for that entire year. Maybe I think he played like the last two games and then plays the next year. Meh, but they win games. I don't think it was because of him. And then like they go to a Super Bowl, they suck and they're still competitive. But at the same time, like he is going to be a smaller version of Brock Osweiler. I think you hit it on the nose there, though, and this was that he was he was a product of a time in which we all like read from the gospel of Belichick. Mm-hmm. And now Tom Brady is probably the biggest like anomaly of draft picks to ever be right. He's definitely the greatest quarterback of all time, right? And now here's this guy that's getting picked up by the Patriots. Was this was this the 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 second quarterback that they had picked up after Tom Brady? No. Uh, so the so Bill the second one or the third one? Belichick had um, a habit of taking a quarterback, usually in like in a, like a lot of drafts. Like Kevin O'Connell, who's the coach of the Minnesota Vikings now, he was a draft pick of the Patriots a while back. He was like a third round pick. Okay. 
Jimmy G was a second round pick. Um, that same year in the fourth round, they took Jacoby Brissett, who's mm-hmm. the co- you know uh, quarterback for the Browns. They they would do that at Ryan Mallett, I think, was like a third round pick. Okay. Um, so they would usually take guys, but second round, it was it, Jimmy G was the earliest they had taken a quarterback. And I think he was like picked like 35 or 36. So early second round, that was the symbol of like, oh, maybe they're thinking like he's going to be the heir apparent. Jimmy G also went to the same school as Tony Romo. So like, I've, like you know, everyone's making the connection. Like, yeah. Yeah. They they had a they, listen. They have a good eye for quarterbacks because Jacoby Brissett. I mean, again, for a guy who's like a th- day three pick, you can't. They have he's, three he's starting good. quarterbacks in the league right now, right? If you think about it, like, yeah. uh, he's he's a very underrated quarterback in my mind. Um, but you know, with Jimmy G, everyone kind of felt like, oh, I was wrong. He he was pick sixty two, um, so he's back in the second round. But I think because like everyone kind of felt like that was like, hmm, like maybe they're thinking ahead for for Brady. Um, but like they've always had a pretty decent eye for quarterbacks. And like Kevin O'Connell, I think, is gonna be a good head coach. So like smart guy, just not an NFL quarterback. But yeah. Um, it kind of felt like a changing of the guard. But yeah, Jimmy G, like there was a lot of Giants fans who were like clamoring for them to trade for him when he was available. And I was like, I just don't get that. It's because there's a lot it of Garoppolo's same... that live in New York. Yeah. A lot of people, <laughs> yeah, there were the names to end in a vowel and they wanted him there. I, to be fair, exactly. Washington was like looking into him as well. And there was a they, report that said that yeah. had he not had like surgery, they would have tra- they would have tried to trade for him. But instead, we have the Carson Wentz shit show. I was gonna, I was going to say, like, wouldn't you kind of be better off at this point? Bro, that was brutal game yesterday. I, here's the thing, though, about Carson Wentz, and I am not defending Carson Wentz. Please don't. Not not but, here. This is. We don't defend on, redheads. We don't he defend was, redheads on this show. I think the the there is a higher ceiling with Carson Wentz than there would be with Jimmy Garoppolo, and we've seen that the first two weeks of the se- season where. He is at least able to throw it down the field. And for all of the mistakes that he makes, he doesn't fall into that trap of like the dink and dunk guy like Jimmy G. Where it's Wouldn't like, it be better? Don't you think it would be better if they had a dink and dunker guy? Because like that's kind of more of like Gibson out of the flat, Terry over the middle, like Carson Wentz. Like Carson Wentz is like, if you want to talk about from a fantasy perspective, he's killing the fantasy value of like Terry McLaurin and Gibson and all these guys. So, yeah, I don't disagree. I I think though they've had dink and dunk quarterbacks outside of Robert Griffin and um, Dwayne Haskins. They, God, Um, (laughs) Mark Brunel and Todd Collins. I got to say, Tom, when you guys drafted John Beck, that might no, have no, been no. one of the no, no. John Beck was a Miami Dolphin. Oh, he was, wasn't he? They just signed him like he was yes. like the land of misfit toys, like just a misunderstood quarterback. I was so happy when you guys did that because I was like, oh, they they don't fucking know what they're doing. They don't. <laughs> like that was like a such a moment where I was like, oh, they're fucking clueless if they think yeah. this guy's. I think that was. I need to go back and look, but I think that was like they had him and Rex Grossman, and it's like, holy fuck, why would you do this? 
do you hate your fan base? <laughs> but going back to the ri- initial point, like I think that having Carson Wentz there at least gives them the ability to take the cup, the top off of some defenses. And he did put some nice throws together yesterday, all of which went to scary Terry, which is great for me. But I think their problem is just their play calling is piss. Like it's so bad. And they were talking about it in the broadcast where they're like, I don't understand why they're doing these seven step drops and he gets back and he's just getting destroyed. And like, why aren't you doing like three step drops? Why aren't you doing bubble screens? Why aren't you doing these kinds of passes that you can start the offense moving or God forbid you run the fucking ball 30 times a game, but it's the NFL and we can't do that anymore because we have to all play like Patrick Mahomes where there's only one fucking person who can play like that. Do you think uh, Fletcher Cox was like licking his chops when he was like, Going yeah, Fletcher his... <laughs> Cox licking chops. <laughs> he did like something hard, that, that he do, did do something think, that like... made me laugh when he set uh, Carson Wentz in the first quarter of that game, and he crawled on the ground and just <laughs> yeah. pointed at the camera. I was like, <laughs> "I'm not even mad at you right now." <laughs> they sacked him nine times yesterday. I mean, the Philly and, defense, and... by the way, quite legit. Um, they said that was the times. most times that Carson Wentz had been sacked in a game, which leads me to believe that he's been sacked eight times in a fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was I saw like pieces of that game and he just was under assault the entire time. Um, but it's weird. I really think it guys... has a lot to do with the offensive coordinator, though. A lot of the yeah. play calling was really bad in the first three quarters. And then they started to figure Scott, it out. Scott Turner wouldn't. Do I have to really say more than that? No, the fail son of Norv Turner, who's a giant fucking fail son. Does Norv? Norv. Does it keep you up at night, though, that you guys, you had on your fucking staff, you had Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, all those guys, and it's just like watching those guys. You chose the Norv son. (laughs) You chose the Norv son. Uh, But I was, I mean, to ask you, though, because like now they're one and two, um, and it's going to be tough sledding for them going forward. Do you think this is a, a hot seat moment for, for the coaching staff? It should be, but it won't be. No. And I'll tell you why. Because that team is so fucked up, all right, right now from an administrative standpoint that, believe it or not, Riverboat Ron is the only form of like stability and consistency the ownership group and the team at large has, which drives me fucking crazy because he is – I don't understand like how you can take this like, yeah, you know, you know, you know, we're just doing what we do. And like Ron Rivera has never impressed me as a coach. Like he has never been somebody who I'm like, wow, he's really cool. I think everyone just really likes his story, which is I'm the son of a military veteran, which apparently is just so rare in the NFL that that has to be like the only fucking talking point that they have. And granted, Like he at least gives that team a little bit of credibility, but in Mm -hmm. the same way that Mike Shanahan gave that team credibility. He was the hot, he was the hot name coming out that year because that was the year that the Giants hired Joe Judge. And like, you know, he was the he was the big name that was available. So I think the problem is though, when it when you boil it down, when it's brass tacks, Dan Snyder is still the fucking owner of this team. It's it's hard to uh, 
yeah, essentially, it's hard to. Sorry, his know. wife runs it now. He doesn't. He's not involved anymore, quote unquote. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but, guy. But it, it's hard to give shit to a dysfunctional like football team when you're you're a dysfunctional organization and they're dealing with organizational issues that are way worse than what's going on in the fucking field and that's it's hard to fire the head coach who hasn't done anything wrong when your owner is declining to attend a grand jury investigation or a congressional hearing because you sexually abused your fucking cheerleaders and you also stole money from nfl owners too and that's the thing that shocks me to to be quite honest with you, I don't. I didn't mean to make this like the Washington Commanders sponsored by BetterHelp podcast, but it shocks me that he has not been removed by the owners. Because if you read that article, he stole from the owners. Like he there's, lied there's a about feeling. the money. Well, with, Go with ahead. the with the Robert Sarver stuff going on, the Phoenix Suns owner, um, who's going to have to sell the team now. Um, there's a feeling that they might pull that playbook for Dan Snyder eventually. I they mean, did it with Jerry Richardson. Yeah. I don't know why they won't do it with this one. One one could make the argument that this is all the precursor of that, right? They're the ones that are pushing for for this to all be go congressional and whatnot. Because really what does the what does the the fucking you know co- what does the congressional I'm tongue-tied for whatever reason right now. Uh, what does Congress really have to do with this this case, right? Like, why are they getting involved in the first place? It should be, if anyone should be getting involved, it's probably, like, you know, the the district attorney, the prosecute, you know, like... Yeah, I agree. The prosecutors, like, looking into it, investigating it. Like, why are we having... <laughs> why are we subpoenaing them in front of a fucking in front of Congress for this, you know what I mean? So, like, there might be some influence from NFL owners because that's the catalyst in which to get rid of a very entrenched owner and family in the NFL. And I still don't understand, though, like, and maybe this is, like, a long play for them, but the owners don't like one thing, losing money. And ultimately, during Colin Kaepernick kneeling, that was losing the NFL money. They didn't like that during all of the players kneeling. They didn't like that because it was losing the NFL money. They yeah, didn't they like business, the, man. Yeah. It's, you know, family fun starts when the bills get paid and this is it. But the guy who was saying like, we should all be making money off of this and believe it or not, the Washington commanders as a franchise are one of the most like highly prized teams in the NFL in terms of a form of like, financial value, but this guy lied to all of the other owners who said, Oh yeah, we didn't make as much money at the gate. Here's like your cut. And it was like 20% less than what they actually got. Like it doesn't shock me that nothing happened with like the sexual, like promiscuity allegations and all the other things that have happened. But you know, when you fuck with people's money, that's when they start to notice. And I'm shocked that nothing has happened since then. They've just like, he's no longer involved in day-to-day operations, which to be fair, he should have never been, but that's not the point. Which brings me to something that we all forgot about again. And it just seems like it's perpetually slips off of everybody's mind. Uh, the whole Brett Favre situation. That sound yeah, that sound no. can be very that sound can be very confusing, Tom, for people listening. Yes. Yeah, so just to clarify, <laughs> that was Tom beating his meat. 
yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's pretty interesting that there there are people who are defending him pretty hard, and it's not. What's it's the, not the, the the copper arm sleeve people yeah. are defending him right now? It's like, yo, you make spandex. Yeah, you guys make spandex <laughs> underwear, and you're sticking with Brett Favre, like. Like there are text messages where like you can tell he knows that this is like very illegal to do and he just doesn't care. And he's like, you're a fucking rich fucking quarterback. Like pay pay for it your fucking self. Sponsor it. Make it the Brett Favre fucking stadium. Like you'd be a hero. So there was other stuff that came out today or it might have came out over the weekend. But apparently Brett Favre recommended to the former governor of the state of Mississippi that they use prison labor to build the volleyball. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. In in any other arena, this guy would be like a billionaire CEO. He's got to go to jail. He's got, I don't see how, I don't see any other alternative. Like he said that he's returned the money, but he still owes like a fuck ton of you. I agree. Like this just like, you knew what you were doing was wrong. And, by the way, why does nobody watch the fucking wire? Why do you talk about this shit on your phone? I'm not saying that you should break the law, but if you're going to do that, maybe do it in person. Uh, he doesn't strike me as a guy that understands the interwebs. No, no. I mean, like it was bad enough when he was sending dick pics to that fucking reporter uh, a while back, but like this is this is whole new level stealing from a ve- the, the the U.S.'s most like poorest state. Mm-hmm. Like Mississippi, am I wrong that Mississippi is like the like poorest by like socioeconomic level they are at yeah. the bottom? Yeah, and I mean you're stealing away like welfare that's meant for people who pay fucking the pay their taxes. By the way, so. all of this is riding off of the fact that Jackson, Mississippi, the capital of the state, still does not have running water. And there is a big cover up going on right now or a investigation that is started about why the money that was supposed to go to these public works programs like the capital's water processing plants, why none of that was spent. And you have that with the current governor of the state. And then you have the former governor of the state in text messages with Brett Favre saying, hey, this is how I'm going to just like make more money so I can build a volleyball stadium for my daughter. I'm reading something else too. Like he was doing motivational talks and not never happened doing the talks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty wild. I, you know, okay. So like on one hand, this is not an uncommon thing, but the problem is that this was full on like money laundering. It's very, it's very common for like public works, uh, p- public funding to go into stadiums and funding the stadiums. Cause it builds jobs. But, this this is yeah this is like i you know what this this is still too early i'm i'm going to say there's a good chance that he ends up seeing some sort of criminal investigation in the near future i don't think this goes um you know i don't i don't think this this ends here i think this goes off into a very ugly direction for for brett aaron judges at the plate right now by the way guys are we cutting um, away? Are we cutting away? We're we're now cutting away to Aaron Judge's. Uh, no, but yeah, like and Tate Reeves is a real piece of shit too. Um, 
you know, I think we talked about it last week. You know, he said, oh, it's a great day to be in Hattiesburg and a great day not to be in Jackson. Like, it's just like they're saying it out loud. Like, we don't give a fuck about obviously because, you know, Jackson, 82.5 percent black. So they're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we don't give a shit. So it's just it's just real fucking idiot criminal shit. Um, And I'm I'm rooting for the day that these guys have to go to jail. So give me a percentage. What's the likelihood that Brett Favre goes to jail? Over Probably under 40%. Under. I He's rich. Rich people don't go to jail. If this snowballs and becomes a federal, like if the feds start kicking into this and like if he, fe- if he broke any federal laws by doing this, the odds go up ex- pretty, pretty big. Uh, but I don't, I don't predict that that's going to happen. It's going to be one of those things that we get really angry about. And then in a couple months, like no one talks about it anymore. I, yeah, sad, sad, but I just, that's just how I, how I think it's going to happen. Got it. What you think? The, the problem is like, I, I think, I think something will come of it, but I, I'm with Q that like, when you have the money, like the legal system, doesn't really have a uh, a way of getting at you in the same sense. So, like he'll he'll get this drop down to something, maybe parole, maybe like he'll actually have to do the motivational talks, something like that. Will will come of it. Um, like, but the thing is, like he's he's kind of this is also something that we see a lot from a certain group of political actors so like this is not a grift that's like shocking at this time and and like this day and age in our in our society so i don't know just i saw aaron judge single by the way good for him um (laughs) i'm here providing you guys updates you're welcome appreciate appreciate it um you know i'm it's funny i have a couple of thoughts here i don't think he's gonna go to jail I'm really surprised at the level of outcry his former teammates have had and how like vocal they've all been about his behavior. The guy who wrote his biography said, don't read it. Like don't give this guy any money. Um, And then lastly, I find it really funny. First off, no one's really covering the story except for like a handful of outlets that are actually doing really good work on it. But I find it hysterical that a lot of the ESPN pundits out there are saying, like, why isn't anybody covering the story? Why isn't anybody talking about it? And it's like, yo, your producers are the ones that set the agenda. You fucking talk to them. Like, why is it my responsibility to raise awareness for something when you have a platform of a million fucking people? I just... It's, yeah, why don't you guys go investigate this, right? Mina Kimes had a really good, uh, did a really good job on it. Um, but yeah, they're yes, they're falling short on it. This should be something they're talking I, about a lot. I mean, it's just Brett Favre has has always had this weird, like slipperiness about him too. Like he 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 used to like you know be uh, kind of like broadcasted as this this family man meanwhile he's sending fucking dick pics right and then he's like uh the whole thing with you know he he got caught like using vicodin he was eating like 16 pills a day or something and boozing all the time and he like he got an excuse made for that too you know like he's just someone who will perpetually always have 
like an excuse for his bad behavior because no one ever holds him accountable because he was a winner for so long. And, and, and I would, and the, world and I was, we, the world, the world we live in as well also provides like, because we're so like divided politically, like people are, I'm seeing it all the time now. People are like, uh, you don't have any proof. Uh, he hasn't been found guilty of anything yet. So like, stop talking about it. Like he is like, which is basically just a way of trying to like, sweep it under the rug. Yeah, like when yeah. Roger Stone literally was videotaped talking about the insurrection with the Proud Boys and their plan to steal the fucking votes. And he's like, no, that was all doctored by the, the guy who took the, the video. It's fake. It's, trust me, it's not true. <laughs> like, and to right, the same extent, watch the fucking clip. you know, Q, you were saying it, but there's actual like text messages that have yeah. gone out. Like, yeah. This is like now on record as him saying like, hey, I need to make sure that no one's going to find out about this. And yep. other government officials saying, yeah, no worry, we've got this covered. Those people and, will see fucking jail time before him. Well, the guy who ran the welfare office in um, the guy who ran the welfare office in Mississippi just got arrested for a seventy seven million dollar um, fraud case. Yikes. So I'd imagine that there's going to be a lot more information coming from him. And ultimately, like, I will say this, like, it is a bad look for Mississippi at large, but also to, it takes the awareness away from what's happening in Jackson. And I know that we talked about that last week, but now this has become the story and no one's going to pay attention about this. Meanwhile, the state capital has no fucking running water. Oh, so I figured next I'm going to ask uh, if we would do predictions for tonight's game. And then we can... My prediction for tonight's game is... Let's go Rizzo. Giants will irritate the fuck out of me until the very last minute of the game. So funny because they very will... similar. And then Graham Gano will kick like a 60-yard fucking field goal. Which I'll be very cool with, but at the same time frustrated it had to come down to that because the only reason at the end of the day, I will know the only reason the Giants were in this game ended up being because the Cowboys kept fucking up their own shit <laughs> and the Giants scraped together one mediocre drive at the end of the game. And that's yep. that's it. That's it. I Isn't it amazing how expectations change, though, because it's like. We were literally talking about this Giants team like, yeah, they're going to win four games. And it's like, who cares? And it's like next year, I'm focused on next year when Joe Shane has like full ability to like take over the scouting department and like, you know, implement his guys and they get a new quarterback. And now it's because they won yeah. the first two games. The expectations are so different. Um, and now we expect that we expect them to be competitive in every game. It's, well, it's really funny. And that's the goddamn. OK, so that's the goddamn thing with. uh with the Giants, though, is that they're going to just—they do this to us every year, right? Like we're like we don't have—we have no expectations from them. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking them for anything, yep. and they will get your hopes up. The worst thing they could do tonight is absolutely dominate the Cowboys because that will make people <laughs> think that for some reason this team that should not have even won two games yeah. so far. Yep. Is now a team that could win the the minute that Giants fans get it in their head that the that the Giants could win the NFC East is when we've doomed ourselves to a miserable existence for the rest of the season. So there have been some really troubling numbers that make me very nervous. Um, the Giants are stopping defenses on a 
ridiculous pace on third down, that is not sustainable. Probably and not. it's going to come back down to earth eventually. And the offense is performing at a very low level to where I don't see, it, you know, like, yeah, regression and all that. But like, you have to have a history in order for that to be the case. Daniel Jones doesn't have that type of history. Um, So I wanted to see, talk about tonight. Um, obviously going against Cooper Rush, Dalton Schultz has been uh, ruled out. I think Michael Gallup has also been ruled out. So the, the Cowboys are really not firing at full health here. They are at home. Giants are at home. Uh, Kadarius Tony and Leonard Williams are out, but Kayvon Thibodeau, the fifth pick in the draft, and Azizel Jawari, their sack leader from last year, are active. So I wanted to do a roundtable and kind of see where you guys are at. What do you think tonight's game? Do you want to give me a score and a prediction? That right there actually could throw a big loop with um, this being the first time anyone's going to get like real good tape on Thibodeau. They're not going to know what the fuck to do with him. Yeah. He could come in and just eat the fuck out of that backfield and feast all day. I'm worried about Parsons. Um, not because he doesn't line up on the left tackle. So, you know, Andrew Thomas, I think will do a good job at kind of slowing him down. Evan Neal. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him, but he has shown some kind of rookie struggles They they have uh, changed his stance. He was more of a vertical uh, step guy. And now they're trying to, doing more of like a three quarters. So I'm worried that he's going to be a big impact. And Daniel Jones has a propensity to fumble the ball. I think it's going to be a very low scoring game. I think it's going to come down to a field goal and I'm, I'm going set. I'm going to give the giants the edge though, because it is Cooper rush at the end of the day. They are, the Cowboys are really decimated. And I think that win against the Bengals psychology wise, I think the win against the Bengals last week kind of maybe lowered that desperation for the Cowboys. Uh, because they're not going into this game 0-2 at the risk of 0-3. So I'm going to give the Giants a 17-14 win. I'm going to go 13-9 Giants. Damn that you guys very real, very realistic. But not, Seven, that, that, I could see that. 17-15 yeah, I mean, for me. What was the score? 17-15. Where do you get the 15 from? A lot of weird shit can happen. Same I mean, it's we'll a second butt. Maybe we'll see a second butt pump. Uh, butt punt, butt pump. <laughs> I don't want to watch anybody. I don't want to see anybody's butt pumps. Thank you so much. But yeah. you know, I think, I think the three of us collectively, we've seen enough weird Cowboys Giants games in our lives where a seventeen fifteen game is not out of the realm of possibility by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, um, yeah, I I think we are all fooling ourselves if it's going to be a forty one thirty five game though. No, the no. funny thing is it could end up being 34-27. So that's my secondary guess to my primary guess. No, unfortunately, no <laughs> one's gonna hear this. Unfortunately, no one's gonna hear this before the before fantasy, but like I think this is probably a get right game for Zeke Elliott. He's been fucking dog shit this year in fantasy, but I he he always <laughs> seems to ramp it up for the Giants. No Leonard Williams, he's probably gonna do pretty well. I think Tony Pollard will as well. I think the backs in general are gonna have Indeed. a good day. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't see this being, I don't see it being a good game. Um, it's just, it's hard to think that the Giants are going to be good offensively until they have another quarterback. But 
I am going to make a prediction, though. I think Kenny Galladay has a decent game. Um, he There's been much said about him going on. He played two snaps last week. Um, he's completely healthy, he said, and he was obviously very angry. Giants uh, reporters have been saying that they've been seeing him kind of hit a different gear this week. Maybe Dable's benching him kind of fired him up a little bit. I'm not predicting some Randy Moss fucking game here, but I'm like maybe, you know, five catches for 60 yards, 70 yards. I think he has a decent game tonight. As long as he's a contributor, I think that's the most impactful thing that he can do. He because... he might have a touchdown tonight. I think he could I think he could easily have a touchdown tonight. What salvages the Kenny Galladay contract? It's going to be it's going to be he has to be the guy that we thought he was going to be when he came in. The Giants were amongst one of the worst teams in the red zone, still are, and they they signed Kenny Galladay to a ridiculous contract. They were betting they were you know this is Dave Gettleman for you. He was negotiating against himself, and he gave a four year seventy four million dollar contract to a guy coming off of hip surgery. You can't mm-hmm. lose if you bet against yourself, right? Then he gets Kyle Rudolph, another red zone guy, you know, good at getting the ball. He's tall, six six, two sixty. Gives him two years, twelve million, which is fucking six million a year for a guy like that who doesn't like really do much. And they found out he had he had to have foot surgery, and they still gave him the contract. Oh, we're honoring that contract. So he needs to be the guy. Like, I don't really care about the yardage with. I don't care about the catches with Kenny Galladay. He needs to score. And like, if it's like they're in the red zone, he needs to be a guy who can outbody the other person. That's what he does. He's a 50-50 guy. He's not a separator. He's not going to blow past people. It's just not. He's not. He's never been his game, even when he was fully healthy. But if he can be a guy that makes an impact for them in the red zone and like makes a difference of scoring 13 points to scoring 24 points, that's going to be where like people will kind of eventually turn back on him. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, I think as long as he becomes like a contributor for this team, like if he's a guy who each game is like five or six catches for 65, 75 yards a game, yeah. I think that's what they need. Because right now, I think looking from afar and not being a Giants fan, the one thing that I've seen from this team is like, they need consistency from all positions and they haven't had that for a long time. They haven't had it at quarterback. They haven't had a wide receiver and they haven't had it at running back where there's just been a revolving door of guys, whether it's a backup quarterback with the neck or backup running backs. Cause Saquon was hurt or guys who, you know, were being the wide receivers because other guys were hurt. And, I think if they can just establish some kind of consistency, at least two out of three of those positions, I think they'll be okay. Preferably if they can get it at wide receiver and running back and then just rely on Saquon and the receivers to make Daniel Jones look better. In 2019, I think that'd be a harder. I think that'd be an easier lift than having Daniel Jones play out of his mind. I agree. Mind. I agree. In 2019, he led the NFL in touchdowns with 11. Yeah. So he's had two in the last three years. Now, granted, 2020, he was injured and pretty much played like three games. Um, hip surgery is a weird, like, you don't usually see guys getting hip surgery in the NFL and come back and, like, play like normal. So, and I and look, I, I don't think it's an effort thing with him. I, I don't think he's a malcontent who is like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be here and I'm not going to play and I'm not going to play well. 
I think he honestly is like not the same guy he was pre-surgery. Like that's, I think hip surgery is a big fucking thing to go through. So it's like, mm-hmm. I just think that he's trying his best, but he's just not like, he's just not the same guy anymore. So I'm keeping expectations very low here. Um, but I still think he can be an out, like out body people in the fucking red zone. Like he should still be able to do that. And that's, that's the impact that he provides. Even if he only walks away with like 500 yards in the, in the season, but he walks away with eight and nine touchdowns because he's just, you know, a red zone target. We can survive with that. So. I'd agree. Now to Kadarius, Tony. No. Young Joker. Oh, young Joker. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's again, another guy. I don't think it's an effort thing. I don't think he's a bad kid. I just think that you go and look at Florida when he was there for four years, look at the first three seasons, injuries, inconsistencies, all that. And then he has one big year with Kyle Trask at Florida. Uh, His senior year, he gets drafted in the first round and you're seeing the same shit. You're seeing a guy who can't stay on the field. Um, and you know, those soft tissue injuries, if you start having those lower extremity stuff very early in your career, it's not a good sign, but like it, it's the old rule, right? Hurt in college, hurt in the pros, like just how it's going to be. Yep. Fucking Dan Mullins. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, I, I think it's just like a parting gift from Dave Gettleman at this point. He's somewhere laughing, driving into the sunset with his like convertible Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, granted, I don't hate that trade because it ended up getting the Giants uh, Evan Neal, you know, so they got Evan Neal in the 2022 draft. Uh, But yeah, I mean, they could have taken Rashawn Slater, who unfortunately tore his bicep in the last game, but he was an all pro year one. And then there's fucking Micah Parsons, who. Looks like he's going to be defensive player of the year this year. So, yeah, it happens. Yep, happens a lot with the Giants, though. What should happen less? <laughs> should we listen uh, to some Young Joker music? Young Joker. I am good on Young Joker, but thank you. I'm going to decline. I did yeah. warn you not to draft him, Tom. I know. Well, don't worry. I cut him. Tom, you would All right, guys. Uh, drop something in the uh, Discord. Want to go over that? Hmm. Let's see. What did I drop in the Discord? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so is this the... Um, Glenn Youngkin. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently um, Glenn Youngkin went on Fox News today and was talking about immigration policy and how it impacts Virginia. And he effectively just said, um, frankly, Virginia is a border state when it comes to like drug trafficking. And I get it from a sense of like, does Virginia touch other states? Yes, it does. It does touch other states. Um, Does Virginia border the Atlantic Ocean? It does. Um, 
But when we talk about border states, what we're thinking about is states that border other countries. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Virginia borders either Mexico or Canada. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. So I mean, I geographically think... speaking, you're not wrong. Yeah, but maps unless you consider anyway. like the Atlantic Ocean part of Mexico, then maybe it's a different story. I don't think we would have gotten that far in our lifetime if that was the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the answer is your your assertion is correct here. Yeah. But I, I've seen a lot of like Republicans, both on Twitter and on their safety net um, news networks, where. They're effectively saying that we need strong borders to defend against like the influx of fentanyl. And I come looking like Molly's now. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently um, fentanyl has turned into the razor blades in your um, Halloween candy now where drug dealers are just going out of their way to give everybody fentanyl. Um, and I feel like this is the new parties. Yeah, this is effectively like the new boogeyman of the Republican Party where it's you need to be afraid of this because of fentanyl. Like you need to be afraid of like carousel rides because of fentanyl. Bro, how fucking weak has your party got to be to make up its own bullshit crisis shit and platform on that? There are so many other things you could probably talk about and say, hey, I actually have a solution for it. But the problem is they actually don't have solutions for a lot of our real problems going on. The border thing, like, yeah, people are coming over and everything. I get that. But, like, it's not – they make it sound like – like, Fox News literally did this thing where they were like, this is the defense minister of Iraq. This was a speech he gave on, like, September – 27th of 2001 he had no problem with his borders being uh with he had no problem with american troops coming across his borders and a week later the iraqi government fell like they make these false equivalencies all day like they're making this problem way bigger than it has ever been and it's been going on forever and the country hasn't fallen to fucking pieces you know the biggest thing that fucking put this country into pieces was Donald Trump getting elected. And that came from within. That's an internal yeah. problem. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of like, there's certainly a lot of outcry that has happened over the border. And I would argue that the border crisis, quote unquote, thing has probably started summer of 2014, because I think that's when I started to see it the most. And it's effectively been just like a, a dog whistle for any kind of like, Republican policy that they can kind of shoehorn into it. But I think this is the thing that they don't understand is that we already have a country that has a surplus of open jobs right now. A lot of them are like day labor jobs. A lot of them are minimum wage jobs. A lot of them are service industry jobs that these restaurants and companies are not able to fill. And right now, nobody within country is looking for those jobs. And frankly, that's migrant labor is how you do a lot of this stuff. And I think it's very almost like ignorant to the fact that these folks are coming here 
to do that work. And now they're saying like, no, you can't. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle where, no, we're not going to let anybody into this country. Oh my God, why do we have all these job openings? Why won't anybody take this job? Nobody wants to work anymore. Um, well, what about if we bring migrant labor in here? No, we can't do that. So I don't, I think this is comical and typical for the, the out of power parody where they just make these like accusations and claims where they don't actually have any solutions because they don't need any, because nobody's asking, how would you fix it? In the same way that nobody's asking them, how are you going to fix the inflation crisis? What they'll probably say is, well, we'll just cut spending. But, but dude, like gas prices are down. Gas prices are way down. I was at the, the pump today and it was fucking $3, nine cents at the fucking, at, at the fucking pump. You know what I mean? Like they got nothing right now. What are they going to fucking talk about? Like my only just... hesitation is that that number might go up though. Prices might go up because they're no longer um, they're no longer opening the strategic petroleum reserve to give to like the market to use. The other thing too is there are there were people who were driving significantly less in September versus July, but that's not going to stay that way forever. And when you have people like adjusting their lives because of gas, it impacts other industries as well. So I'm not saying that we need to have people driving more, but I think we need to look at too, what premeditated some of that decline. In, in all likelihood though, it's going to shoot right up um, by the end of this week because of the hurricane that will decimate Florida. And I say that, only optimistic that it will decimate Florida. Just kidding. I really hope everyone in Florida is safe and sound and this hurricane doesn't blow the roof off of your house because that wouldn't. If you are in Florida and you are not listening to the show, do us a favor and follow us on the Second Mouse podcast. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm generally curious to see what the my concern for the Democratic Party is that they peaked too early and they had this really exciting thing that happened probably about a month and a half to two months too early. And they did all of these changes and they, they passed all these laws and now inflation has flattened, um, but it's still pretty high and there are still people that are struggling out there. And I'm afraid that what's going to end up happening is a lot of these like inflationary things are going to happen. They're going to start to spike again because, well, the inflation itself is not going to spike, but the, you know, the interest rate hike that just happened is going to impact people in negative ways. I, and I wonder if that's part of that is a little bit like they're playing with that and they're going to have them drop those interest rates right before the election. It's it's not going to help either that Jerome Powell is saying now that they're going to like try and increase the unemployment numbers at this point. Yeah. So you're, you're going to be going into a midterm in which your acting Fed Reserve chairman is actively trying to increase unemployment in this country. So, yeah, you know, by raising interest rates that actually have nothing to do with the current reason why we have inflation. Yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like pseudoscience how it would work. Yeah, it's like wrapping a bandage around your knee because you like punch somebody in the face. It's like yeah. 
doesn't correlate. Yeah, it's it's going to get real ugly, and that's the biggest problem. Is you you might be right, Tom. They may have peaked too early, and like when we get to November, which is not, by the way, not that far off at this point. No, uh, it's fucking October in a couple of days. Um, I, it, it might be concerned. So I I think though there's the opportunity to just shut them down and debate though with it. You go, oh yeah, problem solved. Oh yeah, problem solved. Oh <clears> yeah, problem, problem solved. We didn't pack the courts. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> they should have. Um, the biggest problem <laughs> is that people often vote like pe- for people who don't like are not wonks and like don't like follow political proceedings and all that. Typically, will vote with their pocket or pocketbook. Um, and if they feel that unemployment's up or if the economy's not in good shape, they're going to look for the the other party. Republicans who are very bad at handling the economy, but it's the grass is always greener in a sense, you know. I guess I just I don't know. I it's just it's I might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I, I mean I really I, really do hope I'm wrong. I mean we're we're really only you know uh, two years and four four months away from uh, the next insurrection. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um. Hmm. Yeah. It, it's it the thing I've been seeing though is a lot of polls have also shown that like what everyone was saying was like the big red wave like that has diminished too like it's they they should be right now if that was true they should be like this should be the peak right now this should be that moment where everyone's kind of like running around clutching their ass cheeks like please don't punt into me um like there's no there's no doom of that it's like the rip it's become a ripple like it's they're even saying it's the reverse now like i i can't imagine that all of these polls are wrong like because they've adjusted for that donald trump anomaly at this point that i think they they kind of are on you know the side of reason and and i i it just i can't see them pulling that big of an upset i think it it might be tight they might they might flip a few but it's not going to be much the so the the only problem like the Senate the people are expecting the Democrats to hold the Senate, which is good news. The House is a different story though because of the the very underwhelming performance they had in 2020. The Republicans, I believe, only have to win like six of their like I think it's six. It's a small number. In order, yeah, it's a very small number, much smaller than what's anticipated to be able to hold the to win the House over. Yeah. So, um, so forecasters are saying it doesn't look like it's going to be the massive uh, overtaking. And the good thing about the House is that because of the fact that there are more fringe people in the House, like, you know, Boebert and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene to where more economic conservatives that are not really like Trump people, although that number is dwindling. Uh, because any non-Trump people at this point are being like extricated very fast. Um, you are, you might be able to kind of like cause enough havoc that they can't really like do anything, mm. but they're going to, they're, I think the, the anticipation is that the Democrats are probably going to keep a hold on the Senate. How much? Maybe pick up a seat. Maybe, uh, maybe hold, uh, their 50, 50 split right now with obviously Harris being the 
tiebreaker, but the house is most likely. Gone. I I think I think the one thing that, like Tom said, with the peak, the the worry of the peak issue is really that if you're not making um, your voters enthusiastic or wanting to go out to vote in the recumbent cycle, you will lose naturally. That is just what happens. That's usually the typical behavior. So if you can't motivate the people to go out and and vote to maintain your party lines, there will be a there will be a bigger flip than expected. And I think that's the one fear of not having anything exciting going on um, for for peaking too soon. But it seems like both of them peaked way too soon in this in this case, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, probably what also doesn't help too is all of the 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 stuff that's going on with Trump and the people that defended him are now really fucking quiet about it. And there's or going whole, to jail, or going to jail. And there's also that large number of people that have just decided to register to vote, and um, it seems like it's a high number of individuals who historically have aligned themselves with the Democratic Party, although we'll see. We, we don't know until we like, we'll actually find out come November. But, you know, I, I think there is. At this point, I don't think anybody really knows. For some reason, um, Herschel Walker is still leading in some polls in Georgia, and I don't understand why how or why. And I think it just, especially because he's a guy who has no understanding of politics, has no understanding of what moves the needle in the state of Georgia and has like actively said, like, I'm not a politician. Like, I don't know how to do this. I'll get my ass kicked in a debate. (laughs) And, and, and openly and openly contradicts himself. And yet he still somehow finds a way to, um, come up on top in certain polls and it's just I feel like ever since 2016 determining these things has been incredibly murky and I don't think we'll know until like November 9th I, yeah. I think what Herschel in Herschel Walker's case it's the fact that he's so like cringe he well he's just he's so he's so open about the fact that like He's he's transparent about the fact that he's not like intelligent or even good for the job. And it's the one thing that people really want out of their politicians, and that's honesty. He's also he's also he's also lowering expectations for himself. I think I was saying this last week was like he 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 is actually a pretty brilliant move because he's saying, like, yeah, he's gonna kick my ass. So when he kicks his ass, they're like, Yeah, he he said he was gonna happen. So but like that's the beauty of Herschel Walker, he tells it like it is. Yeah, he may he may be dumb and he may have got his ass kicked in that debate, but God damn it, he said he was going to lose. So, yeah, great job. And that's and that's that becomes the argument there instead. Yep. You know? like it's, uh, oh, he doesn't. He's not a debater. He's a doer. You know, it's it'll be some stupid shit like that. You know, you already know yeah. it's gonna what's gonna happen. So, but it, but again, remember the only reason Warnock won and Ossoff won in in um, Georgia. Was a large part. A lot of people feel like after the 2020 election was over and 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 uh, Trump lost. Once Trump started doing the rigged election bit, people were fearing that he actually like depressed the vote. 
because like some people were like, yeah, it's a fucking rigged election. Why am I going to bother fucking voting if it's like it's already predetermined? And mm-hmm. if you believe that, if you're out there and you believe it's a rigged election, you're right. Don't you vote. Shouldn't vote. Yeah, don't, don't vote. vote. Don't waste your time. You need to go make that money. All right. <laughs> no one else is going to make that money for you. And you should go out there and make every single penny while all of us suckers are standing in line voting. I agree. That's yeah. my message to you all. There, there was something else I wanted to mention too, but I can't remember what it was. I think it had, I think it had something to do with just how something about Georgia. I don't remember. I'm sorry. This is this is bad Georgia. radio right now. Georgia. Well, good thing this is a podcast, and uh, we only get like 13 listeners a week. <laughs> yeah, more than that. We get a we get a healthy 30. Uh, under under over how many of those are your plays? <laughs> I haven't listened to the the past couple of them. I could so. tell. I could tell that neither of you have been listening because we would be improving right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm just joking, guys. This I'm is just an being an asshole. I'm this just being a total assault. asshole. <laughs> I'm being such an asshole that maybe we should talk assholes. Ooh. It's a fantastic segue. Ooh. That was the assist. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> With that, I'll start, and I am going to be an even bigger asshole because I'm going to go with a hero. I'm like kind of loving this hero shit. vibe lately. I know, right? I like what a total else. asshole. Um, <laughs> so uh, I saw an interesting fact uh, the other day um, that this individual just got into the Guinness Book of World Records for the most for making the most Make a Wish Foundation wishes come true that is mr john cena and uh i just want to give props to this dude you know what you can't see me he's the fucking man he's so awesome and i i there's not that i have that much to say about this but like you know we because we sit here and we we're constantly we're you know shitting on these extremely vapid celebrities that have just such a low self self awareness and you know all these people that are very self centered and and shitty week in week out and it's refreshing to see that like somebody's using their celebrity to make you know people's lives better and happier like that and touching touch he he touches millions of fans you know lives every day but not not like that tom but <laughs> not like a catholic priest um but he he's he's meeting individually and making you know some kids live uh life that much better um even if it's brief or momentarily and it it just shows such amazing character so my hat goes off to you mr john cena good for him i saw that as well and i mean i think he's somebody who is easily easy to make fun of yeah for sure he can be kind of like a character in himself, but he's great in a couple of movies that he's been in. He was great in um, what was the most recent one that was on HBO? Peacemaker. 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 Yeah, it was uh, the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, generally funny, and I think too he can make fun of himself. So, um, I would agree. I think he's a good dude all around. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot more to say here because I know, I know, like if you ask him about his life, like the reason his experiences are the way they like 
the way he thinks about things and stuff like um i want to say it had stuff like growing up he had some trouble and um it just built his character you know and he's just a great guy all around great guy i enjoy him peacemaker yeah i, I hope that show comes back they they announced it is coming back it is coming back. Look, I bring you even better news. <laughs> it's just getting better here. All right, I'll go next. Um, this 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 is kind of like an overarching scope, and it's gonna have it's gonna encompass a couple of different people. <clears throat> there is an election coming up in Brazil. Um, obviously, a very big one. Bolsonaro going against Lula. Uh, Lula, who you know was actually imprisoned by Bolsonaro uh, for quote unquote fraud. Or, you know, whatever. Just from. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> I want to talk about Glenn Greenwald. Because if you know hey. anything about Glenn Greenwald, <clears throat> he's an accomplished journalist, um, a gay man who went down to Brazil, lives in Brazil, and actually did great work um, reporting on Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro actually at one point was like trying to get him imprisoned. But he's recently been working with Peter Thiel. And ever since you're, he's always been kind of out there and there have been some moments in which like there, he's made some questionable comments, but he's basically taken the full red pill at this point. Um, he was talking about Giorgio Maloney today and criticizing the people who are criticizing her being elected and gearing it towards a first ever female prime minister. Yes, got no, 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 continue, continue. Oh, okay. You had I do I do have some points, um, but... Yeah, it, it's just now, for a guy who I at least respected as a journalist, he he has now basically made this very strange pivot, and shockingly, ever since he's been taking Peter Thiel's money. Um, so it's just, it just sad to see that a guy that I actually respected his work for a lot of the stuff that he did uh, standing up to fascism... Uh, seems to be more in bed with it anything. Yeah, I feel like ever since, because um, Glenn Greenwald worked at the the Guardian, right? I uh, I believe so, and I think he worked at the Intercept for a while as well. He founded the Intercept. Co-founder, yeah. Founded co founder, co-founder of the Intercept, yeah. Yeah. And then they said, like, do I like the Intercept writing? a lot too. I do too. I think their their reporting is really good. Um, I like Ryan Grimm too. I think his stuff's pretty solid, but yep. uh, the intercept essentially said like, dude, you need to like cite your sources and have like some journalistic balance with what you're writing. And he said, fuck you. I don't want to. And then and he said, I'm going to take my ball and go to Substack. And that's where he's kind of lived. And um, I'm going to talk about another Substacker too, but I feel like there is just this community of people who feel like they have been, slighted by news media who take their ball and run to Substack. And it basically gives them like carte blanche to just have all of the worst fucking opinions out there. And they just take the contrarian viewpoint because it's like their wheelhouse. And it's just, a, it's, it just feels very like dishonest of them. And Glenn yep. Greenwald too, where I've I've watched some of his takes, I've read some of his stuff, I've agreed with some of it, I've disagreed with most of it because I think he takes like a, a pretty weird approach to most things that happen. 
Yeah, and he and he defend like he's very good friends with Tucker Carlson, and he's defended that that like oh I go on his show all the time and I'm an opposing viewpoint, and it's like you're not watch you're not you're literally agreeing with everything he said, and yeah, like the Substack thing is very weird because Ken Klippenstein also works at the Intercept, love his reporting, love his stuff, um, but like you know Barry like he you know defending Barry Weiss and all that like another person who quit the Times and it just it just seems like it's like a lot of these guys now are just willing to just flip their entire narrative for money. And look, I'm a fucking whore too. I mean, I'd probably like, I mean, I, I can't say that I wouldn't sell out for a big piece of money either, but like you're a fucking journalist though. Like, so at the end of the day, your job is to really be like super down the middle of the road. And like, I, close. I think I think that there is a misconception about that with journalists. Like I think that's like you go to school and you learn that the theory of being a journalist is to be um you know like open objective. to yeah, objective to all thoughts and I think you get into the business world and it's much like, you know, when someone goes to become a doctor or they become a lawyer or they become anything really you you go in there with a mindset of like this is this is what i'm here to do but like at the end of the day it's like oh no you're like you're really just like filling out prescriptions and like you're just trying to make recurring business and you're you're really just trying to like make a deal or make a plea like you know and i think journalists in the end it's just a job and if you're talented enough you you can make either point on either side if you can see down down the line and it sounds like from what you're saying there was a lot of turmoil um that he had with maybe some other people that he worked with and he just decided to go and and that's the thing i think we sometimes will push people into a position where they're like you know what i can just go make the money and i don't care about this and I don't have to do the right thing every time because sometimes doing the right thing is fucking thankless. <laughs> um, so I, I get like, but I also think there's this weird, this weird thing that goes on too with like journalists where once they've made a couple, they've, they've made their mark in journalism. They, they tend to, want to flip sides because they see that they've been fighting so long in one direction that potentially they need to argue the other one so that history will say, Oh, well they did both, you know, like that's the other thing. So maybe this is just that like recurvature arc to, to get back to neutral in, in his sense. I don't know. Um, also, I don't know if his, his feelings were completely out of line with Italy with what he said about today with, with the attack, like I think that the big problem, like in the Italian and I'm sorry, I'm going very long winded and I'm ranting on this one, but no, go. Um, I think with like this Italian election and what we're seeing with like the far right groups that are popping up across Europe is that they're, they're really they're at the basis of what they are is they're saying like, this whole like they want to separate from the EU and they want to go back to isolating themselves as countries and and whatnot and that's 
And that comes because they never were on top of the EU. They were never they they were never the big powerful country of the EU and I think that and that's where they feel that they're slighted in some way is that like they're either they're either giving too giving up too much or they're not getting enough and that's where these far right they're really protesting the union of the EU. They're they're secessionists of their own right. And that's one of the problems with Italy is like they they've always had that streak. We were talking about it. It's naturally in their streak to want to be kind of independent and a little bit more conservative. They kind of have their own king in the Pope. Um, so they've always had that follow some a strong man type of mentality. Um, I just yeah, I I kind of see this as a balance to that. So, so I agree with you. Um, and I, and I think what he was trying to do is, is obviously he brought up Hillary Clinton's comments on Georgia Maloney and like, Oh, she's going to be the first girl boss prime minister of Italy. Like, and like, you know, of course it's fucking Hillary Clinton. Of course she sucks at like, her cakes <sighs> why and all is that. she around still? But like for Glenn being a gay man in a very gay anti-gay country, you know, I figured he would want to talk at least a little bit about the very troubling comments that Georgia Maloney had mentioned about, you know, anti, you know, LGBT people. So it just seems like he always positions his arguments on the weirdest, like, like taking a dig at Hillary. Like, bro, everyone fucking hates Hillary. Okay. Like, it's even though, right. It's the easy the move. Like, do some, do some actual, like, reporting. Like, report yourself some bitches, man. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> It's just funny too because he takes like positions that are that would put him at a significant disadvantage or in jeopardy. Like if the if the thought experiment experiment or the academic conversation that he has with Tucker Carlson actually came true, like he yeah. would be the person that would suffer the most from many of these com- outcomes that he yep. talks about. Ex- exactly. Is it almost self sabotaging? Um, I don't think it's self-sabotage, but I think it's the problem that people have when you have to play the devil's advocate. And in, in some situations, we don't need a devil's advocate. Um, and by doing it, you just confuse everybody. Yeah, like 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 dunking on CNN and Hillary Clinton at a time where Italy is moving significantly more far right in a world that is significantly moving more far right in a country that he lives in that has moved especially far right. Although Bolsonaro is not projected to win as of right now, based on polls. But as we know, he's openly talked about like pretty much oh, pulling off a coup. He's, he's, he's done the whole Donald Trump playbook on yeah, this one. A hundred percent. So Bolsonaro would also kind of fit into my asshole. As well. So. That's what I well, got. there's never, there's never enough assholes, and I'm going to include our favorite Substack loser with Michael Tracy, um, who we've talked about a couple of times on this show. But over the past week, he's had this long thread about um, apparently somebody gave him like a Wikipedia like link to read, and somebody bought him the World War II in pictures book, and he's made a lot of assumptions about how. Um, the U.S. involvement in World War II was escalated solely by the U.S., and he's made a lot of claims about the Holocaust and how the U.S. is responsible for how the Holocaust was escalated because the U.S. got into the war. Um, and 
incredible. It's just, it's been really refreshing seeing all of these historians who've actually published books and are in professors coming out and be like, dude, you're reading what you want to read, but you're actually not reading good history. And there's irrefutable evidence that you're completely wrong. And he keeps citing the same like three or four people. And there's this one guy on Twitter who's a professor. He kept saying like, dude, historians can be wrong. And this is how he was wrong. You're also quoting people and saying that they are good references when they are members of the America first party during the 1930s. And like, Hey, here's a picture of that same person giving a Nazi salute at a America first rally in New York city. And I think this is the fear that you get with people who are able to run their own blog or they, you know, they join Substack because they feel slighted by their former employer. But what actually ends up happening is they take on these positions that are so extreme that no one is willing to stop them because there is nobody there and they're allowed to just write whatever they want. And it's patently false and it doesn't help. And it's this traditional like what about ism about World War II. And if you like, if you read it enough, it basically says like America is responsible. The United States is responsible for the escalation of World War II and the extermination of the Jews through the Holocaust because of just solely our involvement. And I think it's like an overly simplistic way to look at it if you only understood it from like one lens. And it was yeah. like the lens of Nazi sympathizers and apologists. Um, I'm not calling him a Nazi. I'm not calling him a far right actor. He's a bad, he's a bad journalist. He's a shit journalist who gets to write whatever he wants. Yeah. And he writes stupid shit. He gets blown up by historians and some of them have actually been pretty funny. I actually posted on Twitter, a really long thread from that individual. Um, actually let me pull up his name real quick because I think everyone should follow him. I think it's just a, it's a good point of reference for if you're looking to follow something. His name is Dr. Waitman Bourne, Oracle of History. He is a Holocaust and Genocide Study Senior Lecturer in History at the University of North Carolina. Um, He works at a institution. He works in England somewhere, Um, but he provided this really like deep dive into essentially everything that led up to what Michael Tracy is talking about and clarified a lot of it and how basically a lot of the shit that he says is completely wrong. So Michael Tracy, you're my asshole of the week. I will not subscribe to your sub stack to find out how stupid you are. Your Twitter does that for you. I, I feel like at the very, like, all he's doing is he's doing all of this right now so he could write a book. Like, he's trying to get people to believe this so that when he writes a book, that that's like a major tenant in the argument he's going to make. And he needs people to believe that shit. And then he's he'll trying- be on Mar for whatever reason talking about cancel culture. He's trying to make the, like, comparison that... The war in Ukraine right now was escalated by the U.S. and it's one in the same with World War II. And the the arguments are just completely different. And ultimately, it's 
it's a stupid people's argument. My favorite Michael Tracy moment was when he said uh, Maxine Waters assaulted him. Yes. Uh, and she like literally just like kind of like moves him, him out, out of the way. way. Yeah. Barely, barely. Oh, kind oh, of just oh. guides him out of the way. So Maxine Waters, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, uh, Michael Tracy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'll start picks. Um, so uh, season two of a show called Los Spookies uh, just uh, started on HBO. Um, I know for some people, I know they're kind of adverse from watching movie, watching a show in a different language. It is a primarily Spanish speak, spoken show with subtitles, but it's really fucking funny. And um, it's the first season, it's very easy watch. I think there's like six episodes of season one. It's all half hour. Um, it's basically about a group of friends who have a love of horror, um, who essentially kind of, you know, they're all kind of out of work people. They eventually kind of find their calling in basically creating a business um, of uh, providing horror to those who need it. Um, <clears throat> basically like creating like these events where they like, you know, for anybody that can hire them. So it's, it's a really funny show. Fred Armisen is involved in it. He also is in the show a lot. Um, give it a watch. I promise you, if you get, make it through an episode or two, you're, you're going to be hooked. So season two just started. Uh, I think they're on episode. I think episode two just came out. So um, definitely recommend everyone give it a watch. What don't don't worry it? about the subject. It's HBO max. So it's HBO. Gotcha. Excellent. I'm gonna check that out. It's really, it's really fucking funny. It's a ridiculous show. Yeah, I'll go next. Um, so I have a book recommendation, and the book recommendation is *The Looming Tower* by Lawrence Wright. Um, so, um, the book itself goes um, basically maps out the. Um, the Muslim extremist movement and Al Qaeda from about the 1960s all the way up until the 9-11 um, terror attacks and the World Trade Center, the Pentagon and um, the, the plane crash in Pennsylvania. I, I started I started it because I really wanted to get a better understanding of everything that happened up until 9-11. And there's some really interesting parallels about how um, the extremist movement in the Middle East started to arise, particularly within Saudi Arabia and in other countries, but also um, how disorganized Al Qaeda was and how many instances um, history could have changed completely. There's a story in there about um, how Osama bin Laden went to um, the Kuwaitis and said, hey, we can actually... Actually, he went to the Saudis and said, um, don't let the Americans into your country right after Iraq invaded Kuwait. He said, let, let my soldiers fight this war for you. And if you think about if like Saudi Arabia was just like, yeah, sure, have at it, go ham, um, what the outcome of that would have been. The, the Iraqi army was like world renowned at that point, um, just by its sheer size and the amount of military stockpile it had versus like this ragtag terrorist group that did not have a lot or this ragtag group of soldiers from Afghanistan that did not have a lot of resources and 
one could make the argument that if they were given the green light to to launch an operation on behalf of Saudi Arabia, that in all likelihood, a majority of his supporters and him probably would have been killed. Um, but also, too, just how disorganized the entire operation was all the way up until the end. So, um, again, if you want to have a real significant deep dive on many of the, the the players and the incidents that led to 9-11, the Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to finish up real quick with one um so I've jumped back into learning some coding and uh, right now um, and, and I'll try to get this podcast or we'll, we'll try to get this podcast out before the end of the week. So people know um, I've, I'm always looking for different sources, um, places to learn uh, coding from, whether that's, that's books or uh, online learning through videos, what have you. Um, and uh, one place that I've come to find that's really good and they are constantly working on improving their uh, website is a website called Code Academy. And hmm. um, it's really cool for the fact that the way you learn is mostly through actual examples. Um, they have usually some form of um, an emulator built into the lessons in which you actually practice what they're talking about, the topics you're doing. And uh, right now you can get a year subscription for 50% off this week. Um, so it's pretty good. And the catalog is, is pretty vast. Um, it covers things from uh, all forms of topics of computer science to HTML, Python, JavaScript, uh, down to even languages like Kotlin, PHP, C+, um, and all sorts of different subject areas from mobile development um, to uh, data analytics, AI. Um, and it's all in pretty easy-to-follow modules. They have a mobile app that also is pretty excellent. So um, if you're looking for a way to learn some new tech skills, um, pro learn a programming language. Uh, this is a good place. And right now, I think till Friday, you can get, uh, you can get it for half off for a year. So that's my pick of the week. That's codeacademy.com. When people got to, when people say machine learning, are they referring to like building an artificial intelligence? Uh, machine learning is like considered a form of AI. Now, this is where I might be, I might be off technically in terms because the difference might just be in like the decision making process. I, I couldn't tell you. I might cut all of this because <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, actually, it says here like machine learning is an increasingly hot field data science dedicated to enabling computers to learn from data. So I had this backwards. Uh, from spam filtering in social networks to computer vision for self-driving cars, uh, the potential applications are vast, whereas AI is just uses computers and other machines to accomplish complicated tasks typically associated with the human mind. Gotcha. So problem-solving, decision-making. So like a machine learning is a subset of like human mind like problem solving but only it's more data focused 
would be. Gotcha. It's based off of like tendencies and probabilities then. Yeah. And it's, it's high math. It's, it's like very, very much like that's, if you're learning, if you're learning code, you want to, you want to really make money in that, in, in a field like machine learning AI is where the money's at right now. Gotcha. It's hard. <laughs> I mean, I totally believe it. And that's why that's not what I fucking do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's the cool thing about Code Academy, though, is that, like, you could probably jump into some of these. Like, they'll say, like, look, you should probably start here if you don't know these prerequisites. And it yeah. can be part of a path that they've already created for that you can go through um but like uh yeah it's uh you could you could take code academy all the way through to saying i want to learn that and they'll start you at the basics knowing that you're a beginner and move you through their modules to get to the point where you would understand like the slides for um you know machine learning or or ai sick very cool no, very nerdy, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it's cool for somebody. It's cool for us nerds. <laughs> Tom? All right, you fucks. That's going to do it for another Whoa. episode of the Second Mouse Podcast. Um, thanks for tuning in this week. Do us a favor and go on all of our social media um, platforms that we have a profile in. Do us a favor. Give us a like and a follow. Um, and also comment in some of the, the content that we put out. Let us know what you're thinking. Let, let us know how you're responding to these things. And let us know if there's any topics that you want us to follow um, and talk about on the show. If you're an interesting person or even you're just interested in getting on the show, let us know. Bring us a topic and let's come together and have a conversation. Um, and then lastly, do us a favor and um, go on to your favorite social Go on to your favorite streaming platform, give us a follow, give us a rating and a review, and then share it with your friends. You know, it's like that old chain email back in the day. If you don't share this podcast with five of your friends, you're going to be electrocuted and your dick's going to fall off. <laughs> but first, you'll Did watch you everybody you've ever loved die. Painful yeah. deaths. So yeah. Because you didn't pass a podcast on. Yep. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week, y'all. Um, and again... Give us some topics, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Okay, let's get me a rhythm. Follow me. We are, we are And then he says, and I'm not kidding you, he goes, now clap. Please clap. Just clap for that, you stupid bastard. I need applause to live. Turn it up. Go ahead, make your jokes, Mr. Jokey. Joke maker. Ha, <laughs> suck it, Jack Sparrow. <laughs>